0: Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of The Highlighter Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Iserro. Thank you so much for being here and listening in, whether it's your first time or whether you're coming back to the podcast. This is a place where we all talk about some of the best articles that were featured in last Thursday's newsletter. And I'm really excited to share with you who is on the show this week. It's Nikki McToto, and she works in education in San Francisco at SFUSD, and I'm really happy to have her on the show because I've known her for a long time, and I also value very, very much her experience as well as her perspective. So let's get right into that interview. Hi, Nikki. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm good. It's really good to be here.
1: I'm glad. Welcome to my home.
0: Yeah, totally in your home. You know, the the podcast, uh, it's much better when, when it's in somebody's home, so thank you. No problem. I want to know a little bit more, and so does the audience, um, about you, about who you are, and then perhaps also why you're a subscriber, and then also what you do.
1: Sure. Um, so, Mark Icero got me into college, that's how I'm going to start this introduction. Just kidding. He did help, though. Um, so I first met Mark as a senior in high school in his first year of teaching at Leadership High. And so I am a subscriber because I love what you have curated, how you curate and bring people together, even in person. So I'm really happy to be a part of getting to talk to everybody about an article. Um, I am an educational policy analyst for San Francisco Unified. I work on programs focused on children whose parents are incarcerated and homeless students, but I've been in the district for about six years. Prior to this, I was a teacher recruiter for almost six years before taking this one.
0: Yeah, it's great. And you are from San Francisco.
1: Third and, generation.
0: And I want you to talk about that, too, like what it means to you.
1: Sure. Um, It's very important to me. I have it tattooed on me in two different ways. That's how important it is. Um, I uh, have really had San Francisco embedded in me not just because I've lived here and my mom and dad were born well, my mom was born here and my grandmother was born here, but because it is a reflection of who I am in terms of its diversity or previous diversity, I should say. I got to learn so many different things just by being in this very large cross-cultural, cross-community place. Uh, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I want to make sure our young know, people get those experiences too. I would, if I had children, I would want them to also get those experiences. So, um, it's it's a pretty important piece of who I am, and it's very important to me to preserve what I can of that.
0: And then, what do you think is your role now, given that San Francisco has changed so much? You say previous diversity, like, is that partly why you're in? public school stuff like how do you do you go around sort of protecting San Francisco
1: yes uh I think that I one thing about it is that I fell into education I I said I didn't want to be a teacher but everyone said I should be a teacher I said I wasn't going to get into education and aha here I am having studied it having lived in the actual system for six years um so I think that first and foremost the preservation part came from the fact that i had really amazing teachers as a kid and that's how i landed in the sort of teacher recruitment role was making sure that students had great teachers as well making sure those teachers became and blended into the community that was pre-established in the schools um so i do think that there's certain levels of protection that i kind of employ in the work that i have done in the new job you know really making sure that students who are already impacted by a variety of really crummy things happening in their lives are able to still access the same learning I did, access the same, or better, I should say, because I hope it's better, um, the same experiences I did in school and really be a part of this community. Like, I don't want them to be further marginalized by also being said or being told they don't fit in in some way, shape, or form. So, sure, I, I totally protect that aspect of it. Sounds great.
0: Um, I want to know which article you want to talk about.
1: Uh, let's talk about the Jefferson County
0: article. Sounds great. I, um, you probably know how I feel about the author. I follow her around, and I don't want to be a stalker or anything, but you know, I saw her at the Commonwealth. I was so happy when you chose this article, just because I like Nicole Hannah-Jones so much. Um why'd you choose it?
1: The truth is I actually um didn't make the decision until early yesterday morning because I read several of this week's articles and yes, the Ta-Nehisi Coates article is probably gonna be one of the most viral things to come out of this week, but it was too hard. Um and then the snake charming thing was just fascinating, but I really didn't I didn't hit my heart meets in any way, shape or form. <laughs> so this one felt real and felt very connected to kind of how my community has changed here in San Francisco and the work that I do every day.
0: So yeah what what do you want to talk about first? What sort of um, hit you most?
1: I think that there was a that with the amazing twist with the judge
0: I, I, I was reading it and I was like, why did I was all excited finally for a positive ending?" Yeah. Well, I guess it's a spoiler, but we have to. They need to read. it. If
1: you it. didn't read it, there's a twist. Yeah.
0: Why do you think that happened? What was going on? I mean, like she explains it, but I haven't read the entire opinion because it's 162 pages or whatever. Yeah. Not but...
1: gonna happen. Looks <laughs> <Unless> like <laughs> really like I'm awake at a night about it. Um, I don't. And then to, sorry to add on to that to be a lawyer who was a part of the first trial that essentially ordered schools be desegregated and now to be on this sort of rehashing of it as a retired volunteer lawyer? Mm -hmm. Sorry, why do I think that happened? Um, I think there's still so much we do in regards to respectability politics around race. So to parallel this article to the Coates article in that, so many of our foundational decisions as a country are based on this sort of race fear and this idea of preserving some, some whiteness. While that is embedded deeply in this particular story, she needed to make a point and say, hey guys, this is wrong. Okay. But say, but I guess I'll give you a chance to prove me that maybe you're not all racist.
0: It didn't make any sense. I,
1: I absolutely not. So that was the that that was the thing that I walked away completely baffled by.
0: It was really disturbing, and it made me mad because I really did think that it was going to be a triumphant ending. That somehow Brown versus Board might exist somewhere, and ultimately, and I, you sort of had to know. Like if you know any of Nicole Jones's right, like you know it's going to be pessimistic at the end, right? But I was like, oh, this is going to be different, but it totally wasn't.
1: It was not.
0: I mean, she totally makes plain in the article that integration was working. Right. That actually the schools were pretty good. That there was no harm in this town. Specifically, there were not really complaints of the school, especially this big new school. But somehow they just didn't, like the white parents did not want to have their kids be learning with African American kids. Uh,
1: uh because of the two the two black kids that were in the school were totally fine like yeah. right it's a it's a it's an interesting dynamic where it's like integration is working because the very small percentage of people who were in these communities who were not white were just fine mm-hmm. so that it's it might be factually true that integration was working but clearly that's not the necessarily the world we want to live in at the same time <clears throat> I understand if you don't have more people to suddenly make the area more diverse. You can't just invent them out of thin air in so many ways, but with all of the information around bussing and the other school um areas that had a little bit more African American students or who knows what else, maybe some random Mexicans cuz we get everywhere. I don't I don't know. You know, I, that part uh was particularly difficult for me cuz that's not just enough.
0: Yeah. And I think that from sort of, like, where I sit, like, I have, like, the whole educator thing about integration, and then I also have sort of, like, the reality of just uh, of just sort of living. And it's easy to sort of say and to blame, like, this southern town. Yeah. But you know what? just everywhere, and that's what she, she makes this point also, how right. urban, like, school districts are as, or more northern, specifically New York, she talks about as well in another article, how urban school districts are as um segregated as well, and that, I, I sometimes talk to my white friends who have parents, uh, not have parents, who have kids, thank you, they have parents too, probably, um, but this thing about, oh, I really want, schools to be integrated. But right. for my kid, I'm going to make right. a different choice. Right. Um Right. So at least like this, this town in Alabama is just really being more real in some ways.
1: Right. I mean, maybe for Alabama, this is still really progressive. I don't know. I've never lived in Alabama. I don't. I do have a friend who I call Alabama Chris, and he is everything Alabama to me. Mm. But I don't, I don't plan on living in Alabama anytime soon. But we do see those same things replicated even in large districts like San Francisco Unified. Um, you know, we have a ton of different programs and laws and enrollment policies that are designed to make sure that schools are as diverse as possible, that every student has access to all of our schools. But there are certain things that just inherently cause uh moments of segregation, if you will. Mm-hmm. We have an amazing bilingual program in the district. I'm a product of it. I, I went to a dual immersion uh K through five school where I learned to read and write in English and Spanish at the same time and it was fantastic considering you know my family's from all over and we didn't really have any home language other than English. Um and I wouldn't trade it for anything else. But other programs particularly ones that um, rhyme with schmandarin are programs that inherently end up segregating students. It's due to who decides to enroll in them, what parents feel like their students should be um, multilingual in certain languages. And in essence, it it is something that we can't control unless we force families to suddenly enroll in these programs. I don't think it's anything we'd ever want to do to say, hey, you have to learn... I think they're exploring Arabic and Vietnamese Mm -hmm. biliteracy pathways, which wouldn't be full immersion models, but those teachers don't exist. I know because I've experienced that. Mm -hmm. A. B. You can't just force, you can't force that on someone.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure that you don't, like, in your work in San Francisco, you haven't necessarily worked directly, like, with the the school choice lottery, how you, how parents sort of choose several options, and then... Because of desegregation, you you don't necessarily know firsthand. But like one thing that one thing that I have thought is that is that it's not necessarily messaged. Like the the public is not really buying the whole desegregation thing, even in San Francisco anymore. And this is what Nicole Hannah Jones would probably say. Um,
1: You're wearing her hat right I, now. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs>
0: I feel like I yeah. So um, is that maybe people in theory like this idea of schools being integrated, but I, as a parent want to be able to have the best school, meaning the, in a scarce, a scarcity model. Right. Um, and I want to go, I want to go right next door to where I live and I want to have a certain percentage of white, uh, students there and it has to have really good test scores and it has to be this, this, and this. And, I just wonder if a district, because SFUSD is doing so many great things, I just wonder, like, is it possible for a district now in 2017 to actually try to build political will for or or have we totally lost the whole integration fight?
1: That is a huge question. Um... I mean, to me, it's it's not just about desegregation. It's around or segregation or racism. It's around proximity to whiteness. If we really want to look at a, a place like ours, where we are a majority-minority um, city, where I think we still are, who knows? With gentrification, that could change any day, right? Um, because I don't think it's necessarily about segregated schools, but it is very much around. I want the best for my kid. I think that a lot of families that I grew up with, because we had parents who were born on sort of the edges of the civil rights movements, whether they were born during it or right before it, they weren't necessarily old enough to participate in it. But as a result, we had a lot of community-oriented, um, uh, sort of uh, "it takes a village to raise a children type of environment. I also went to an alternative public school in the city where we called all our teachers by their first name and it was just a little hippie. So, you know, we really cared about each other. Now, we're back to this like level of individualism that I don't think race is as big of a factor as my kid has to get into this school because it'll set this future, um, because of this sports program, because of this academic program, and it becomes less around what's best for the school community and more on individual children. Don't get me wrong, I think it's fabulous that we've been engaging parents as much as we do. We have amazing sort of programs for parents to get involved in our city. It's just that we always only hear those squeaky wheels who are really advocating often from their own seat and less so from a community standpoint.
0: Yeah. And I also wanted to I wanted to ask you about <laughs> charters as well sure. because, you know, I, I taught at one and you went to one and it was the same one. And so can you say, because I had to decide uh, to teach at one and Mm -hmm. then you had to decide to go to one, can you talk more about that?
1: Yeah, um, I talk about this all the time because I have to explain sort of my educational journey in in my work a little bit. Um, So third generation means that my mom, her mother, went to the same high school here in San Francisco. which is Mission High. Go Bears. My dad went there. and Most of his brothers went there. One of my uncles went to Lowell. If you know San Francisco, you get what that means. Excuse me. Anyway, um, Mission was not a safe place when I was enrolling in, in school. Uh, I didn't even get Mission. I got assigned I didn't get any of the schools that I had chosen. We were opting for smaller schools. I did go to a pretty traditional large middle school in the city. Maybe it's not large. Maybe it's medium. Um, And so when it came time for decisions and I got placed at a school, that school was actually on the verge of shutting down. It doesn't, in fact, exist anymore. Um, That would be tier. And so trying to find another option, my parents couldn't afford private school. That was in no way I would have probably hated it, not my thing, Um, and they chatted with some classmates who were all enrolling in this brand new public charter um, that was going to be this great experience. All these things were promised about how they were going to grow future young leaders, and we'd be in the first graduating class. I don't remember a lot other than I got in, and then those four years were very interesting as we built a school together. Some moments were awesome some moments were harder they didn't actually know if we were going to graduate for a while but we but we did um and uh you know school's doing really well now and so i often feel troubled by saying i went to a charter when i'm working so closely with the public school system here and because i believe in it however the nature of this particular charter having been public having been its own school and not part of a larger charter network not being for profit etc it still puts me in the place of being closer to having gone to just a regular public school. And now that we have so many small high schools by design in San Francisco, it feels like we're all part of the same family, if you will, so it doesn't feel as challenging. But, like, I get it. We needed the charter at the time. It wasn't just that those were the only two schools. It's that all of the schools at the time in San Francisco were problematic. I have had that confirmed by people who who work in the district, that it was not a great time for high schools. It was not a great time for teenagers in San Francisco, um, and so we're in a totally different place now. Mission has a waiting list. It's great. It's amazing. And
0: Balboa is also doing Balboa
1: is doing great. All of our high schools have changed a lot, um, and frankly, if I had a kid who was high school age, I'd be comfortable with them going to most of them. Most. <laughs> I even said, I mean, any of them, right? Anyone from work listening? All of them. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but...
0: I mean, at the end of the article, um, there was this point about how racism is still racism. It just sort of changes. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you spotted that. It sort of hit me. Do you agree? Like, especially as you, because you're working so hard in San Francisco also for, for marginalized youth. You also worked in, you know, you had to get those teachers every year and you had to make sure to mm-hmm. try to get. And then it was just, I mean, didn't it seem at some point that it was just a lot of work? And That, my, it,
1: that last year, I almost, I thought, oh my God, I'm going to have to stand, in a, stand on a corner, especially, you know, refer to articles about the teacher shortage nationally if you don't know about it, but i I thought I was going to have to stand on a street corner with a sign that said, do you like kids?
0: Right. And just come on. Just, in. just,
1: hey, we'll fingerprint you and go from there. Yeah.
0: Um, no, I mean, but, like, do you, when we are in this work, and when you're in this yeah. work, and you're just really working hard, and yet, you know, she talks about how just racism is going to adapt.
1: Well, we have to adapt with it. that That's unfortunately, like, you know, that's unfortunately the reality, is that it's not going to go away. It's just going to change, so we kind of have to be on our toes and ready to change. And To a certain extent, like guess, as, as a person of color who's you know, been a part of different communities that are across difference with my own affinity groups. Like, that's what we do already. We gotta kind of be ready to adapt and, and I don't have an answer. No one ever does. But it's like, oh, okay, this is the new way racism is presenting itself to us today. I have some choices. Can I let it get me down? Can I react to it? Can I go home and figure out how to better react to it later? I mean... That's a pretty crummy summary, <laughs> but the, that's what the choices are. Well, that's
0: my last question, is how do you sustain and then get energy to continue?
1: Uh, um, like, from a very practical standpoint, it's like choosing to not engage in certain things and choosing to engage in others. Um, but I would say in, in the last year, I get to do work every day that really has significant impacts, even in the smallest gestures, on the experiences of young people. So my hope is that when I'm old and I need young people making decisions about how to, how to best lead this country, maybe those folks will be in a better place because of this, this better life they're living. That was a horrible final point.
0: It was very great. It was very good. It's true.
1: It's corny, but it's true.
0: Thanks, Nikki. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for doing this work.
1: Thank you for getting me into college. Oh, that's
0: so nice. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Nikki as much as I did. It was wonderful to talk with Nikki as well as about an article that was written by Nicole Hannah-Jones. Never can go wrong with that. And I just wanted to let you know that if you enjoy what you're hearing, please get the word out about the podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do over at Apple Podcasts. But the most important thing is if you're not subscribed yet to the newsletter itself, that's probably the best place to start. And the short URL to make sure that you're subscribed is j.mp slash the highlighter. And that's all one word. So definitely check it out. I think that you'll totally like it. And uh, until next week when I'll have another person on the show, please have a wonderful week and look forward to the newsletter this Thursday. Have a great week.